Welcome to Ununinformed. I'm Sean CV. Each week, Ununinformed helps you in being connected to the world around you so you don't feel dumb around your smart friends. On this podcast, we've talked about racism, sexism, but today we're talking about a different ism, ableism, or the discrimination against disabled people. I was recently in on a conversation where we talked about ableism and the rights for disabled people in an event in Salt Lake City called Think Again. The presenter was Dr. Romel McElprang, the Director of Disability Studies at Eastern Washington University. He teaches classes on understanding the issues that disabled people experience in society, but he also teaches classes on diversity and discrimination. But these two ideals, diversity and disability, aren't two separate conversations. In fact, after having this conversation about diversity and disability, it became clear to me that discrimination against people with disabilities is a form of discrimination that's often overlooked. In the United States, we would reject out of hand gay people, women, people of color, that those characteristics make them inferior. We reject discrimination based on sex, sexual orientation, and race. But... We accept in our society that disabled people, people with chronic health problems, are in fact worth less than non-disabled people. Really? Do we in fact discriminate against disabled people in our society? Let's take a look at how disabled people have been discriminated in the past, how they continue to experience discrimination, and what are some of the solutions. In 1927, the United States Supreme Court ruled on the Buck versus Bell decision, which allowed for sterilization of the unfit or intellectually disabled. You may have heard of this sterilization practice. It's called eugenics. Here's a quote from Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, the Supreme Court Justice who wrote the 8-1 to majority opinion for the case. That's in favor, not opposed. Keep that in mind. So here's a quote. It is better for all the world if instead of waiting to execute degenerate offspring for a crime or let them starve for their imbecility, society can prevent those who are manifestly unfit for continuing their kind. Three generations of imbeciles are enough. Wow. Our Supreme Court really said that? Well, that was a long time ago. 1927. But Dr. Romel McElprang pointed out that this mentality of cleaning up our society of disabled people is not an extinct mentality. He shared this quote from Peter Singer, who is a well-known philosopher today. Quote, When the death of a disabled infant will lead to the birth of another infant with better prospects of a happy life, the total amount of happiness will be greater if the disabled infant is killed. Wow, this guy really said it. And just so you know, this guy's modern day, the loss of the happy life for the first infant is outweighed by the gain 
of a happier life for the second. Therefore, if killing the hemophiliac infant has no adverse effect on others, it would, according to the total view, be right to kill him. Close quote. Now, I don't think this mentality is commonplace in the U.S., but Rommel did say that our society is still having issues with discrimination against disabled people. So how exactly might you or I possibly be guilty of discriminating against disabled people? Here are some areas that Rommel suggests that society may be guilty of ableism. First, there's something called separated shoulder syndrome. We call it separated shoulder syndrome. Little kid goes up to the person in the wheelchair, or maybe the person who has Tourette's, and says, what's the matter? What happened to you? And they get the separated shoulders, your parents jerk them away because they don't want the person to feel bad. They don't want to offend them. Look, I live with it. I've got nothing to be ashamed of. I live with it. Ask me. But yet we are so afraid, we are so ashamed that we, we marginalize terribly. The next way we might inadvertently discriminate, inspiration porn. And to describe what this is, let's listen to Stella Young, who gave a TED Talk at TEDx Sydney in 2014. I was on my second teaching round in a Melbourne high school. And I was about 20 minutes into a year 11 legal studies class uh, when this boy put up his hand and said, hey, miss, when are you going to start doing your speech? And I said, what speech? You know, I'd been talking to them about defamation law for a good 20 minutes. And uh, he said, you know, like your motivational speaking. You know, when people in wheelchairs come to school, they usually say, like, inspirational stuff. Yeah. It's usually in the big hall. And that's when it dawned on me. This kid had only ever experienced disabled people as objects of inspiration. We are not, you know, to this kid, and it's not his fault. I mean, that's true for many of us. You know, for lots of us, Disabled people are not our teachers, or our doctors, or our manicurists. We're not real people. We are there to inspire. Um, and in fact, you know, I'm sitting on this stage, looking like I do, in this wheelchair, and you are probably kind of expecting me to inspire you. Right? <laughs> nice. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm afraid I'm going to disappoint you dramatically. I'm not here to inspire you. I'm here to tell you that we have been lied to about disability. Yeah, we've been sold the lie that disability is a bad thing. Capital B, capital T. It's a bad thing. And to live with disability makes you exceptional. It's not a bad thing. And it doesn't make you exceptional. And in the past few years, we've been able to propagate this lie even further via social media. But there are a lot of these images out there. You know, you might have seen the one, the little girl with no hands, drawing a picture with a pencil held in her mouth. Uh, you might have seen a child running on carbon fibre prosthetic legs. Um, and these images, you know, there are lots of them out there. They are what we call inspiration porn. <laughs> and I use the term porn deliberately because it, they objectify one group of people 
for the benefit of another group of people. So in this case, we're objectifying disabled people for the benefit of non-disabled people. The purpose of these images is to inspire you, to motivate you, so that we can look at them and think, well, however bad my life is, it could be worse. I could be that person. But what if you are that person? I've lost count of the number of times that I've been approached by strangers wanting to tell me that they think I'm brave or inspirational. And this was long before my work had any kind of public profile. They were just kind of congratulating me for managing to get up in the morning and remember my own name. <laughs> Dr. McElpring had our little audience do something that he did with his students in his class. He had us read an obituary from a certain newspaper in Spokane, Washington. It was an obituary of a disabled person that died from an operation that went bad. Let me read a little bit of that for you right now. Death claims Holly Cadill, pillar of courage. 11 years ago last month, I walked into an eighth floor apartment on the north edge of downtown. She was a beautiful woman, just 24 back then, poised, confident, her eyes radiated an intelligent force that could bore holes through you. Then there was that smile, so genuine, so warm. She could sweep you away with her optimism, make you forget about the wheelchair that imprisoned her or the cruel hand life had dealt. Her name was Holly Cadill. They say it takes incomprehensible stresses and pressures to transform a lump of soot into a diamond. Holly was as rare as the clearest perfect stone. She was a quadriplegic, unable to scratch her nose or twitch the slightest muscle below her neck. An ever-changing cast of attendants took care of her earthly needs. Yet Holly found a way to soar above the indignities and limitations. Somehow, she told me during the first of our interviews, I had to find a normal life and make it work. She did so much better than that. Holly graduated from Gonzaga University, finished law school at GU, and passed the Washington State Bar Exam. Then, in 1995, she became a United States attorney, the first quadriplegic to do so. Many of us who marvel at her accomplishments, however, never appreciated how fragile that motionless body really was. Although myriad medications kept her going, Holly wasn't one to speak of the downside of life. But Holly was rich in one department, friends. The late Reverend John Hurley spent hour after hour encouraging her. Former Judge Ben McKinturf, himself in a wheelchair, was a regular too. The Sullivans, Diane and her husband, Pat, were devoted to Holly, raising money and opening doors. Attorney Mike Keyes tutored her for the bar exam. Jim Connolly, Spokane's U.S. attorney, found her a job. So many others played varying roles, but in the end, it was Holly's determination and intellect that took her to the top. Most girls dream about wedding vows and gowns, she told me a few days before taking the oath to become a U.S. attorney. My dream has also included tailored suits, courtrooms, 
and independence. You realize that dream, my friend, and now you are finally rid of that chair. Now, wasn't that a nice article? It is, if you like inspiration porn. Here's Romel. I give this to students every quarter. And they read it and they oh, this is so wonderful. What a wonderful, delightful woman. This is what we call inspiration porn. Uh, it, it is what we call ableism masked as worship. Now let's look at that. She could sweep you away with her optimism, make you forget about the wheelchair that imprisoned her. Look, I know a lot of wheelchair users. That wheelchair doesn't imprison them. It provides them access to the world. You know, it talks about her being in a sinkhole. You know how she got a job? Not because she was a good, competent attorney, but because a friend got her a job. And finally, when she died, it was the greatest blessing that could have happened. You realize my dream, my friend, and now you are finally rid of that chair. Don't tell me that disabled lives are considered worth as much. What we have is Holly was wonderful because she did wonderful things and she was a hero. But if you're newly disabled, if you're in a wheelchair, what does this say about you? What does this say about your life? And the same thing applies not only for physical disabilities, but mental health disabilities, medical disabilities. The, the terms that we use. I've been looking in the paper the last few days. Seen confined to a wheelchair. Suffers because of amputations. All that language is so embedded that somehow because we're disabled, our lives are suffering. Our lives are less than. And if you want to take it down to it, I'll give you one thing. I didn't include this on my slides. Wrote an article on end-of-life decisions. The interesting thing about any quad who has sought to be able to go off machines and end their life, they're always, uh, yeah, go ahead and do it. The courts always rule in their favor. Award-winning award -winning movie. Uh, Clint Eastwood is not a hero in the disability community, but a uh, million-dollar baby. He killed her, and it was merciful. And so what we do is we have people like this news reporter, a columnist, who uh, thinks he's doing a great service. And what he's doing to disabled people is really the same as the Supreme Court justices or other people in the courts who say, go ahead and die. The interesting thing about the people who sought the right to die, there were several people I used in this article. Every one of them had been confined to nursing homes, nursing facilities. They're not homes, they're friggin' facilities. <laughs> And so let me ask you this. If for some reason you were forced to live in an institution, told when you could get up, when you could go to bed, when you could eat, when you could go to the bathroom, and maybe you could get out once a week if you were lucky, and you lived there seven years, and you had comatose roommates, hmm, am I depressed and do I want to die because of my physical condition or because my life has no hope? In one of those cases, a guy named Rivlin, the disabled community in Atlanta found out about him, helped him get out of the nursing facility. He was happy to live. So Romel is saying that these ills that are coming upon disabled people are because they are believed to be worth less. Now, even if you personally don't believe that and you're one to see past the inspiration porn, your attitude is not enough to fix the problem. There needs to be something done in national policy to ensure there's room for disabled people in society. And that's where 
the Americans with Disabilities Act comes in. This was legislation passed in 1990 by George H.W. Bush, and here's what it did. First, it allowed disabled people to work because laws were passed so people could not be denied a job based on their disability. Second, it provided measures for public transportation to be available for everyone. Third, it made telecommunications companies make provisions for the deaf or hard of hearing. And finally, fourth, it enforced that public buildings be made accessible. The Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990, that was huge. But this still isn't enough. As far as employment, there's still a huge pay gap that doesn't need to be there. Disabled people, on average, make 63% of what non-disabled people make. That includes people with master's degrees or higher, 87 versus 66,000. Now, the way we deal with that is we think, well, disabled people can't work because they're disabled. And what I would suggest is it's not because we're disabled. It's because of discrimination. It's because of social policies that say you can't work. Because there are still so many people that are limited, not necessarily by their disability, but because society will not accommodate for their disability. So the, the, the whole idea in disability studies and disability rights and disability culture is it's not our internal impairments that are the biggest problem. It is the way that we're treated in society. It is the intersection. And that intersection, so we live with impairments, but it is the intersection in society that is what really disables people. An example would be airline pilots. Before the ADAA, the amendments, if an airline pilot had 20-40 vision and they could wear glasses, they were considered too disabled to fly. Now, if they wore glasses, they had 20-20 vision. But the disability came because they were too disabled to fly. Okay? They had an impairment. But if you had reasonable laws, it's not going to be a problem. According to Rommel, the solution to disability discrimination is something called universal access. This means that rather than accommodating for disabled people as the rare exception in society, all public things should be accessible to everyone. So this whole idea of universal access, what I would suggest whether it's disability or any other trait, we share far more in common than difference. But I will give you an example. So this classroom was built at my university. They came in, they were thrilled to death that they had one wheelchair accessible desk out of 30. I said, well, that's kind of stupid. I didn't say it. I was much nicer. I said, how about we create a room with 30 accessible desks? And the thing was is it was much better pedagogically for the teacher because in the previous thing, if the teacher was talking to one student, maybe one or two students could gather around. Here, the whole classroom or half the classroom could turn their chairs around and meet with her. Universal access can make everything better for everyone. Here are a few examples. Anybody ever use a keyboard? <laughs> yeah, once in a while. But what people don't know is the typewriter, the modern keyboard was created as a disability tool. The creator of the modern keyboard needed a way to have blind people communicate. They could do it without seeing, so they could communicate, they could write to each other using the modern keyboard. This is a disability tool. How many of us would go to a grocery store if it didn't have power doors? And yet that was a disability tool. 
Of course, no one likes hot tubs. You know how you know how the hot tub got created. You ever heard of a, 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 a maybe you've heard of this name before? Jacuzzi. Yeah, heard of it? Mm -hmm. They owned the water pumps. They were water pump manufacturers. One of the kids in the family was born with uh, what they called at that time juvenile onset rheumatoid arthritis. They knew that hot water helped that, so they created something for the kid. Best doggone birth they ever had in their life. <laughs> and interestingly, that kid grew up to become the president of the company. But the whole hot tub thing started with Jacuzzi, who did that for their children. Look, how many of us use captions? I work out at the club, I'm using it. That's a disability tool. And this concept of universal access isn't limited to ramps and closed captioning. It also can be applied to education. So when we apply it to education settings, if we say give a test or teach a lecture that's based on universal access, disabled students, students of color, their own performance will increase significantly. But the interesting thing is, is even the students from majority, the white upper middle class students, they also improve. It's just that their improvement isn't as significant. If you're still not convinced that implementing universal access is reasonable, consider this. We today talk about, in my university, if you need special accommodation, it's like fingernails on child. The, the hell with it. In the 1960s, 6% of medical students were women. Did we consider female bathrooms as a special accommodation? Between 12 and 50% of people with, in America today is disabled. Is that special? No, it's a basic human right. And that, I think, is the message. Don't consider my life worth less or my ability worth less because I happen to not be, quote, normal. Thanks for listening. If you found this episode of Ununinformed enlightening and if it makes you look at the world a little different than you did before, consider subscribing to this podcast in your podcast app. And if you're already subscribed, leave us a rating. Our music is provided with permission by D.D. Dumbo. I'm Sean Seavey, and you've been listening to Un Uninformed. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.